praise the Lord. Who's the Savior of the world? King Jesus. Who's Lord of heaven and earth? King Jesus. Who's the Savior of your soul? King Jesus. Amen. Is this a wonderful day to celebrate what our Lord Jesus did? King Jesus, Lord, we praise you. Lord, we honor you and glorify you today. Woo! Hallelujah. How many know that no man could do what our Savior and Lord did? He saved you and I. Man. You know, you, well, you need to understand that we shouldn't just honor Jesus because it's Easter. We should honor Jesus because he changed your life. And because he is who he says he is, that means you've got a promise that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Man, what a blessing. You know, think about it. If he was still in the grave, you and I would have no need to be here, right? But he's not in the grave. He's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of our man, the Father God. Man, that's why we come to celebrate today. We come to celebrate. And so there's nothing that gives me, that excites me more than to be able to share about King Jesus. Amen. Lord, we just praise you today. We, Lord, we know that this, this is just another one of your special days, but this is a day where, Lord, we're here, Lord, to honor you and remember what you did. Lord, to give you the highest glory and honor that, God, that you deserve. Because, Lord, when everybody else and everything fails, you never fail. And so, Lord, we're here to say thank you. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. And if you love Jesus and you know it, can you clap your hands? <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. You know what, Junior, go ahead and bring that up, buddy. Um. I got a picture here that I want to place right here in front of the altar. And in fact, you, you want to just hold it up just really quick. I, I got a big strong guy up here to hold this thing, but just kind of show it around really quick and just let everybody see that. Um, this picture here, there you go. That's good. Just, this picture here means a lot to me because um, it's one that I have in my office. And what a great reminder. This picture was painted by uh, Thomas Blackshear. And it was aptly named Forgiven. And uh, I remember back in, I believe it was like 98 or 99, me and my grandmother, we were walking through like a Christian supply store out of Visalia. And we walked by this picture, and it was only about this big. It was just a small portrait of this. And I remember thinking, man, that is an awesome picture. And we both just sat and looked at it for about five minutes. And I said, you know what, that's, that's one of my favorite pictures, you know. It really displays who Jesus is for a for a for for the kind of people that put him on the cross that he's still loving and forgiving and so when i saw that i was like you know it meant so much so what she did she took a small the small picture because they didn't have one this size and she had it printed and blown up for me and so today i have this in my office and it means a lot to me and so i want to share some things based off of that because what you're going to find, well, what I found is this, is that in Matthew chapter 26 today, I found that there, there's a whole lot this picture says in relation to Matthew chapter 26. Because you've got to remember, Jesus was placed on that cross because of our sin, but yet he willingly went. So that way he could exonerate us of our sin. 
And so I want to share some things today out of Matthew chapter 26. But I want to read something uh, out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, just very quickly. And it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? You see, Jesus was questioned. What kind of man is this? John chapter 12, verse 34, who is the son of man? You see, the question is, who was this man? Who was this guy that shows up? So I'm going to read to you Matthew 26 because I believe, Matthew chapter 26, and I'm just going to read pieces out of it because I believe that it reveals human, human uh, nature, unfortunately, and how Jesus came to fix that problem and be able to reconnect us with the Father God. Because you're going to see that all throughout Matthew chapter 26, leading up to the cross, there were specific things that you see, man, man, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about the evilness of man. It's, it's amazing how natural it is for people to throw things into the fire without ever seeing its value. And so I want to read some things to you because this picture was kind of what gave me the inspiration for this message. But if you've ever taken the time to really consider what Jesus did and what it required in order for us to receive our salvation, I believe that it will move you. And that's why we're going to do communion after this. But I want to read out of Matthew chapter 26 and verses 3 and 4. It says, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and killing him. So we see that there were plots by religious people to kill Jesus, and they did it trying to use trickery. How many knows they didn't fool Jesus? They only thought they did, right? Watch this in verse 7 and 8. And it says, A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Isn't it interesting that Jesus was accused by his own disciples of being wasteful? It wasn't really the lady, because Jesus could have easily said, no, don't, don't spend all of that on me. You see, they were really making an accusation against our Jesus, his own disciples. Watch this, verse 14 and 15, through 14 through 16. It says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. One of his own would deliver him to the high, high priest and betray him before the world just for a little bit of money. Greed. Watch this, verse 21 through 24. And it says, Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man whom the Son of Man has betrayed. You see, Jesus even knew who the betrayer was and, it was, and was unable to stop him. Jesus right there was willingly. So at that point, the moment he willingly gave it, over to man, he was unable to stop it. The process had begun for him to go to the cross. Verse 31, and it says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus knew that they would run in fear, that they would leave him in his greatest time of need. Isn't it interesting? You can see people 
Just maybe not yourself, but how many people do we know reflect one of these natures? Whether it be betrayal through trickery, through thinking that we can get away with something, that we can that we can get Jesus to or to get Jesus to overlook something. Isn't it interesting? We see it all through Matthew 26. We see the human nature and it's evil at its very best, which isn't very good. Watch this. Then 30, verse, verse 33 through 34, it says, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that before this night is done, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You see, Jesus would be denied by his closest ally. By his closest allies all before the world. So, someone Peter considered, someone that he considered an associate. Peter considered him an associate, a mentor, a savior, a leader, a teacher, and a confidant. And yet he would even assume that he didn't know him. Verse 37 and 38, and it says, And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch for me. Do you understand that the stress and the hurt that was brought on by the sin of the people were laid upon him at that moment? He began to feel it. It was enough to cause him to experience death even before he died, according to this. He was already experiencing death as we know. You see, in fact, in some passages, it says that he bled, drips of blood. The stress was so great. Then in verse 40, verse 41, it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And by the way, he did this three times with them. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, for indeed the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even when everything was at its worst, his most reliable associates could not be counted on to help him. And that how often it is even in the body of Christ. Jesus is relying on his people, but he can't count on them any longer. We see so many people that just easily give up on Jesus because they had a bad day. And as long as you have hair, you know what a bad hair day is, right? <laughs> Watch this in verse 45. It says that the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign and saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those men, one of those who were with him, Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will not provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. You see, Jesus had to watch helplessly as his betrayer came to him, greeted him with a friendly kiss of death, while a band of high-ranking religious leaders and a garrison of Roman soldiers with weapons came to take him. You know, we don't understand, but it's our sin that does this thing over and over and over. Verse 59, 
It says, now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Look, although they tried to slander his character and find testimony that was false against him, they found none. He told the truth, and they reasoned it as being a lie, except one. And this was a truth, by the way, except that it was a truth that would, would hold true in the future. Just because they hadn't seen it yet, it would be a truth that would hold true for the future. You see, I think too often we're trying to put a good man down, and we cannot keep Jesus down. Verse 65, it says, Then the high priest tore, the, tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of a witness? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat on his face and beat him. And others stuck him with palm, uh, struck him with palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one who struck you? You see, he was accused of blasphemy and spit upon and struck by the hands of many, the religious leaders. Can you imagine? That's just one chapter that represents everything right here. It represents everything right there. So I want to share some things with you because I got to know what kind of man is this. Although I was caught with the hammer and the nail in hands, you notice he didn't use it against me in a trial of my guilt. We all have been caught and guilty by association of carrying the murder weapon. Yet Jesus' forgiveness exonerates me from the life sentence I deserve to serve. Think about that. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. It says, And when they had heard, when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If it wasn't for his forgiveness, what for hope would we have? Because we've all been caught with the murder weapon. None. You know what's amazing about this is that he forgave before he even died. He forgave before he even died. How many of us need to forgive some people? You know, our pastor was here, you know, Pastor Arthur was here last week, and he talked about forgiveness. How many of us need to forgive? How many of us need to forgive? You see, he didn't wait until he was defeated by death and the grave or until he walked out of the dark and dusty tomb. Can any of us afford to wait to forgive those who have wronged us? What kind of man is this? Verse 32 of Luke 23, it says, There was also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified with him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, <clears throat> one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you were under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Do you understand that he served his time with criminals, yet he was guiltless of the charge that he was being hung for? He was a criminal without a valid charge against him. What kind of man was this? He also carried a weight of embar the embarrassing relic of a past. Do you realize the cross represents the past? Represents a law that we were had to struck, be struck, stuck to. 
because no one else had the capacity to withstand the shame that they created. You realize none of you have the ability to carry the own weight that you've created. Only Jesus could. Then he hung on it in shame to present us a future that we don't deserve. Watch what Matthew 27, verse 27 through 37 says. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. When they spat on him, they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So sitting down, they kept watch over him, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is king of the Jews. You see, the cross is a representation of our past, and too many people like to hang on it. The ugly side of our sinful nature, it represents everything that man was. The cross is a shameful thing, and yet he withstood the embarrassment of carrying it for the world and then ordered to hang upon it in order that we might experience a future, like I said, that we don't deserve. In fact, in the scripture, the cross was considered a curse. Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse, a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why is this? Because it's a reflection of all that is sinful and shameful and embarrassing, and yet Jesus was willing to take the embarrassment. What kind of man is this? Also, how did he have the strength to uphold the world when the weight of our own sin is too great of a pressure for us to handle? When he was under pressure, we were too busy caught sleeping. Think about all the things that he still does for you today. The things that if it wasn't for his active hand involved in your life, you may not even be here. So don't think that he just stopped thinking about you after he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He still thinks about you today. Watch this in Luke 22, verses 44 and 45. And it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had to come to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. You see, they were stressed and tired too. Spiritual sleep is the result of being overwhelmed and hurt. And stress is that you will not trust the Lord to take care of too often. You see, we cannot control everything in our lives, and we, but yet we still cannot afford to be asleep when Jesus comes looking for us. A lot of us will be asleep when he comes looking. Luke 22, verse 43, it says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. You see, an angel strengthened Jesus. All the disciples had to do was trust in the same, in the, in the same spirit that Jesus did, and maybe they would have been strengthened also. Hebrews 1, verses 7 and 14, it says, and, the angels who, uh, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his spirits ministers of flame of fire? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Do you see, you have angels that are there to minister to you. That's what they're set in place for. He gives us supernatural assistance because we don't have the strength to stand up under the pressure and the stresses of this life. 
And yet Jesus was expecting them to, to follow him and to utilize their assistance. Instead, he found them asleep. Too often, we're, we're giving lip service to Jesus, saying, God, I'm just so tired. Who isn't? God, I just can't handle it. Who can't? God, this is too big for me. What isn't? And yet, Jesus can give you the assistance you need. If he has to send an angel to you, he'll send it. You see, he was able to remain strong when tempted while the world constantly gives into sin and is consumed with its weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15, it says, For do, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, he had the strength to hold us up even when our weaknesses would become the temptation that he had to overcome. Our own weaknesses, he had to go to the cross to help us overcome it. So he understands what we're going through. But because of it, and he defeated it, you can withstand the pressures. You can withstand the weaknesses. Anybody says that it's too hard to serve Jesus is lying to themselves. Be careful not to fall for their personal deception. You know how many people, yeah, you're right, it is hard. Man, you're right, I serve the Lord and it just seemed to get harder. Yeah, but then that means you need to press into Jesus more. Because he will be there. Let me tell you, the only one that doesn't want to bother you if you don't want to serve Jesus is Satan. On the cross, he loved us enough to do what, we did, what he didn't deserve. Romans 4, it's in verse 39, in verse 39 through 40, it's, or, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 23, verse 39 and 40, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanging, hanged, blaspheming him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you were under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Romans 4, verses 24 and 25. It says, But also for this, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was also delivered up because of our offenses. You see, he was delivered into the hands of men for an offense that he didn't commit. He laid down his life for yours. He laid down his life for them. Although he died with sin, he was more pure in his death than we can ever be alive. He died with your sin, and yet he was still pure enough to die for the sin. Think about that. He was more pure in death with sin upon him than you are even sitting here alive today. And he died with sin being imputed upon him. In other words, he, and yet he went without complaining but only carrying. What kind of man is this? You see, he'll always carry the nail-scarred hands as a reminder of man's sin, yet he will exonerate you of yours and forget what you did that put the scars there in the first place. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And it says, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has, been, he has made alive together with him having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, his scars are not a reminder of what you did. They were a reminder of what, you, what he did for you. It's a reminder of what he did for you. When Thomas, doubting Thomas, was in there, he says, well, I won't believe until I see. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, because Jesus doesn't need to prove that you did it. He just wants you to know that he did it for you. Here we have a God 
who understands these things. I'm telling you, he erased your trespasses. What kind of man is this? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. I'm going to read this out of New King James, then I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his, in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we have died to sins, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By those stripes you were healed, and for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I want to read this in the Amplified. I like the way it expresses it better. For as a believer, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, he left you, as an, left you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor was there deceit ever found in his mouth. While being reviled... Or in other words, retaliated and insulted, he did not retaliate or insult in return. While suffering, he made no threats of vengeance, but keep, kept entrusting himself to God, the Father, him who judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body and on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as on an altar of a sacrifice. So that way we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and the power of sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you, those who believe, have been healed. For you were continually wandering like so many sheep, but now you have come back to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. I cannot tell you with sincerity of heart how grateful I am that Jesus would suffer so much for a man like me. So this leads me to the question, what kind of man is this? He willingly laid down his life. He miraculously laid, raised it up. What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this who dies on a mean splintered beam, buried in a cold, dark, dusty tomb, defeats hell, death, and the grave, rises in victories, and walks out of the tomb in power, yet has no agenda to control, to control man, only to give him a choice to choose him? What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? I'll tell you what kind of man this was. I'll tell you what kind he was. He was the kind, we named him Jesus, Hell King Jesus. Jesus overcame the emotional things of life before the cross. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you realize that was a very emotional statement at the moment he made it? There was a lot riding on if he would follow the Father's will or his personal will. And he says, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. You see, Jesus overcame the emotional things of, of life before the cross. John 19, 36, it says, not one bone was broken. You see, Jesus overcame the natural or the physical things on the cross for you. By his stripes, you're healed. You overcame so much in the, in, in the emotional realm and the physical realm. But Jesus also came, overcame the spiritual things so that Satan could not have you. And it says he overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. You have a testimony. So what kind of man is he? He's an uncommon man. There's nothing ordinary about him. He's a man who cares about honor above rewards. He's a man who will work tirelessly to save the world, even though they may reject him. 
He's a man that is concerned about the church more than religion. He's a man that accepted a crime that he didn't commit so that you could walk free. He's a man who wants to forgive and forget rather than pronounce your guilt. He's the kind of man who came to rescue you from you. Think about it. If you ever looked in the mirror, you're the one that needs to be rescued from you. All of the issues in life are not somebody else. It's you. He's the kind of man who became like us so that we, we could become more like him. That's the kind of man he is. So consider what kind of man this is. He made his way to, a, to the cross to experience your guilt. He hung on the cross to take away your guilt. He died and laid wrapped in a grave because of our guilt. He rose from the depths of hell and walked out of the grave to overcome your guilt. This should be the most important point that you remember. It was all about your guilt. I don't think there's any question as to what kind of man Jesus was. And I believe Easter is more about the answer to the, that he's given to the world that too often we forget. This is why we're going to get prepared for communion. But before we do communion, I want to ask some of you this one question. Do you know Jesus personally? Do you know this man? Because if you don't know him personally, then you really need to consider, what I'm about to do is to take part in the very thing that he exonerated me from, the shedding of that blood, literally the putting of that body upon that cross. We did a lot to try to break him, and yet he rose up to carry us. We did a lot to try to blame him for things that he didn't deserve, and yet he was willing to walk out of the grave and carry us while we still carried the hammer and the nails. He still loved us enough to hold us up when we realized that even our own sin was part of the pressure that we bring upon ourselves, and he carried us through it all. He didn't come to parade his scars. He came that we might recognize that if it weren't for those scars, we would not know the Savior like we know him today. What hope is there if there's not a risen Jesus? What hope is there if it wasn't for the man? If it wasn't for the man? There's no questions anymore what kind of man this is. This is the kind of man he is. This is the kind of man that he is. And every time you walk away, he has to carry you again. Why should he have to keep carrying us when there's so many people with a burden that we can bring Jesus to? wonder how often we spend more time allowing, causing Jesus to carry us when in reality we should be carrying Jesus to others. Say, Jesus, here's someone. That's why today when I ask you this question, it's not about what kind of man he is. If there's anybody here that would deny what kind of man he is, then you're the man, you're the individual that loves to keep him on the cross rather than risen from the grave. I want a risen, I serve a risen life Savior. I serve a risen life Savior. But today when we take communion, I want to read something to you out of Scripture.
In 1 Corinthians 11, before we take the communion, I want to read this. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What's an unworthy manner? That means that if you haven't received Him as your Savior, if you haven't accepted Him for who He is and what He's done, if you say, I know what kind of man He is, but you walk out knowing that, you still rejected Him. I just think, how many of you, without raising your hand, how many of you have done things for people? They didn't give you credit. In fact, sometimes they've given other people credit. And that doesn't bother you a little bit when you don't receive the gratefulness and the thankfulness that somebody should have given to you because you deserved it because of what you did or you did hand it to them and they still were ungrateful. I don't want you to raise hands, but every one of us can't stand it when people are ungrateful. When you've done something to love them, something to bless them, something to help them, and yet they walk away as if what you gave them meant absolutely nothing. If you've spent more than a day without Jesus, it's like an eternity. For a day is like that of a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like that of a day. If you spend one day away from Jesus, it's like a thousand years. Because you know why? Anybody that won't accept the Jesus that rose from the grave not only is rejecting him, but's ungrateful. Because he gave more than you could ever provide for yourself. He gave more than you could ever give to someone. He gave more than what somebody could help you with in your mind or your thoughts or your ambitions. Anything that somebody could give to you will never compare what Jesus did for you. Because what Jesus did for you was eternal. Everything else is temporary. And so I think, how could we deny this man? How could we deny this man? You know what I think? I think it's time we drop the hammer and nails. And say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I put you there, but I'm sorry. I put you there, and I've made a mistake. I, I've been ungrateful. I've thought about my favorite person. I look at them every day in the mirror. You say, man, I, I need this Jesus. You say, I need him. Wouldn't it be better to go spend time with your family? Having the Lord inside? And celebrating bunnies and Easter eggs? that don't mean to nothing. In fact, most of you are going to throw away them hard-boiled eggs. You know it. <laughs> most of them bunnies are, well, they probably won't melt. The kids will have it all over their face and all over their body and everywhere. You're going to have a fun time. But remember, the only reason you're celebrating this day is because somebody made it possible for you. you say, I need Jesus. I've traveled too far, too, too long, and too wide. I've traveled too deep, and I've given a whole lot of things to everything but the right thing. To everyone but the right one. Jesus is okay with carrying you for a moment. But when you do, you've got to say, Lord, I surrender the hammer now. That's the kind of man that he is. He's worth it. If you need Jesus, right where you sit, I want you to raise your hand. It is a bold step. It's a bold move.
but it's one that will secure an eternity because it's worth it. He's worth it. I want you to all stand with me for just a moment and we're going to say this prayer because there are some that need Jesus right now. I want you to repeat this prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I carried the nail and the hammer. I placed you on an ugly cross. But Lord, I'm grateful that you rose from the grave to forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and reside there for the rest of my life. And Lord, I will follow you. I will not give up on you because you've never given up on me. And today, devil, you are no longer my Lord. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Isn't he good? <laughs> now you can take this we're in a worthy manner. Has everybody got their communion? I'll tell you when to drink and eat this, but I want to read this very quickly. Because communion is so important. That's what Easter really is about. When Jesus sat at the last Passover, the Passover supper, ultimately it brought us to this point where we now do communion because that was what it was about. It was about the body and the blood. And so today we still honor that. And remember it says as often as you do, or often as you remember, do this in remembrance of me. That's all it's for us to remember what he did. It's not for us to celebrate, it's not for us to, to do a big party or a shindig in the church. It's for us to honor him. He is the celebration. He's the celebration. It says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Remember, this is what he died for. Take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How many know? Jesus didn't leave us. He's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, Jesus. Somebody, you've been getting headaches a lot. Headaches have been just, if that's you, just raise your hand. God's going to heal you right now. Right there. Hallelujah. There may be more than one. He's praying for headaches right now. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now. We just come against those headaches. Some are brought on by stress. Some of you, your back's out of whack. Lord, show me that some backs are out of place. Some of you have got some tension. There's been a lot of stressful things. Some of you, it's just been something you've been de dealing with because of sinuses even, the Lord is telling me. Lord, once you know, you're healed in Jesus' name. That's what the blood of Jesus was for. You're healed right there. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that healing. No more headaches. No more pain. Hallelujah. You're going to enjoy your day. Hallelujah. Thank you, precious Jesus. Woo. How many love King Jesus? Amen. I love you all so much. I, it, it's such a blessing to always minister to, on Easter. If you wouldn't mind, just be seated for just a moment. we got a couple things that we have left to do. But anyway, when you go today, celebrate Jesus above, and be, uh, above all else. Make sure you don't forget what Jesus did for you. Amen? I love you. You have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us today. Power Talk Podcast is brought to you by Powerhouse Church. You can listen on Spotify or download the Powerhouse Church app. If you would like to comment, need prayer, or want more information, contact us at powerhousechurch.us.